ברוך השם, you're a bad Jew. שלום. You're listening to Bad Jew. Welcome to the podcast. We're here today to talk about self-defense and the history of Jews and our fight, our literal physical fight, not just the fight for survival on the intellectual or philosophical level, but now we're talking about combat. And with us today is Hanan Smith of Magen Protection Solutions. Hanan, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. So Hanan, before we actually get started on this episode, As you know, we do our four-minute Bad Jew challenge where you got to tell your life story in four minutes. Are you ready? I am ready. All right. And Echad, Shtayim, Shalosh. Go. Okay, so I'm Hanan Smith. Unique name, I know. My dad is American. Went to Israel right after medical school. Um, so hence the name Smith. Everything for me for protection and Judaism came when I was around nine, eight years old. Okay, around that time. I was coming back. by bus for my school, Sanhedrin, which is in Jerusalem. And I was coming home um, towards, I was living there at like around Neve Yaakov. And we were passing Agivat Sofatit, which is a controversial area, okay? And a terrorist came on the bus and wanted to stab, you know, the people on the bus. The bus driver got out of his chair and kicked the person in the chest And then we, at the beginning, we didn't know what was happening. And I was sitting right, be- right behind the bus driver. And then the people jumped on the floor and actually controlled and detained the terrorists even before security professionals were there. And the driver was very unathletic, old, right? And at that moment, we all were saved by this person. So something sparked in me. And from that point on, security was very, very important to me. And I was fascinated by it. Um, every time I saw a soldier, I wanted to talk to the soldier. I always wanted to, to, you know, to hear more about safety and security. And then when I got into the IDF, of course, I had that mindset of protection, service. And that's how I, I started. I was a sharpshooter myself. Then I became a lieutenant. Overall, through the four years, commanding more than 200 soldiers. At one time, I would have 45, 50 soldiers at a time. Uh, mainly stationed in controversial, you know, areas. And then after that... I started working with the civilian market, which is what I'm doing today, making sure that safety and protection is there. And I always tell this to people, when I went to the Kotel and I made a promise to God that I will protect and serve, I still till today, I make sure that I, I'm, when I say Modani in the morning, that I say, I'm still in that covenant. I'm still in that, in that you know, I'm still in front of the Kotel, even though I'm not wearing the uniform, But I'm still every day making sure that I'm protecting, educating people, um, helping them with their needs and challenges, if it is for safety or anything like that. Um, and that's what really makes me so proud of being part of the culture and continuing that. My family always says that I'm blessed because of that, because since a young age, I always wanted to do what I'm doing. And not many people are fortunate to do what they do and really love it. And they always look at me and said, since eight years old, You wanted to do this, and I'm really, really blessed to do this. So I am excited, always when I talk about this topic, um, to be educated on it. 
Well said. Hanan, you did that so professionally. We had a minute and seven seconds remaining on the clock. Yeah. That was really great. You mentioned your experience as a sharpshooter. And of course, that picture right above you, for those mm -hmm. who are listening on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Stitcher, you can't see what Hanan is talking about or what I'm talking about. But right above his head is a picture from his sharpshooting days. Um, how old were you in that picture? I think in this picture, I was about 19, 20 years old. Okay, 19, because 18, we go in, and I went for a special school for leadership and fighting. We call it in Israel, um, which prepares you mentally and physically. And then usually you get promoted more faster because you're already more mature, more educated about the subjects, really about Judaism and why we do what we do. Because that's the biggest question is why. So, yes, I became a sharpshooter first when I went in. And a lot of responsibility at your shoulders as a sharpshooter. And you basically lead the team forced, right? So the sharpshooter job, whereas the sniper, the difference is the sniper sits behind. The sharpshooter actually leads forced. So it was very, very powerful. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, I'm sure that your time in Israel, especially in the turbulent times that was then and the turbulent times that still remain, was, was active. You said that you had been in controversial <laughs> zones and, and, you know, you fought. On that subject, I think you might know a thing or two about the question we're asking today. Do Jews fight? Yes, I would know a thing or two about that. You know, if Jews fight, you know, it's, it's, it's something that fires in me. We are fighters. We are fighters to born with. You read the Torah every single week, which is fascinating. And you hear stories about, and you just go to Israel and you see those places about Yericho, Metzada, you know, Jerusalem, Il David, you 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 see it, you see it in your own eyes, you can touch it. These are places that you know you look at the six-day war, nobody gave us a chance. The joke was who's gonna be the last Israeli, you know, to, to close the lights in, in Ben Gurion Airport, right? It was it was really nobody war after war. We are the only nation that never lost a war. We couldn't afford to lose. Wow. lose so 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 no other nation ever has that record so since the bible you know so yes so so we are fighters to begin with and we are more than fighters we are life educators because mm -hmm. when we fight actually when you join the idf you have to force go through which is what we believe in life after you learn to evaluate life and value it then you become a fighter you don't do the reverse so yes i love the culture of the jews as far as fighting and power because it comes from a very strong perspective, yeah. Well said. And that kind of takes the example of burning your ships to an extreme example. Hanan, have you ever heard that expression, burning your ships? Burning your ships? No. Tell me a little bit about that. So, yeah, this was an expression that is actually used a lot today in the business world. It's used a lot, in, I, I guess, in, in various metaphors, not just the business world. But mm -hmm. I, I hear about it a lot from various books on business. But... The expression burn your ships specifically references Hernando Cortez landing on the shores of Latin America to defeat the Aztecs. And upon his arrival, him and his soldiers burned the very ships they arrived on. Bear in mind, they just traveled across the Atlantic Ocean. They mm -hmm. landed on shore. And the first thing they do is they burn the very ships they arrived on. The very reason why they did this is because it was Hernando Cortez instilling the idea that the only way to victory was to defeat the enemy, was to burn the ship, that there was no retreat. That option was gone. If that mm -hmm. if there was a plan B, then plan A would never be achieved. 
And that mindset seems like it's very much instilled in the IDF. What an incredible track record. I also know that the military plays and strategies of the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, mm-hmm. is typically not mentioned in military books on strategy for leaders who are learning to lead armies today because mm-hmm. the standard and the events that have taken place in Israel seem uncalculatable. Correct. To, yeah. I mean, I think that's insane. There are stories Correct. in the IDF about their enemies, even seeing like the site of Abraham in a, in a mm-hmm. battle. I, I don't, Hanan, maybe you know more about this, but there are, there are myths and rumors about certain occasions in combat that have been godlike to have happened, even in today's world. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. That's why we say the spirit, right? You can't train. People think technique versus technique. Like if you take a person who's 300 pounds versus a person who's 100 pounds, right? You always will say the 300 pounds will destroy the person who 100 pounds until the day the Israelis came in, right? Because we say, no, we have David and Goliath, right? And people are like, no, it doesn't make sense. It's not like the Las Vegas betting, betting odds, right? Like you guys break the betting odds. So that's why every time I hear fighting, always the sentence finishes, but unless you're Israeli, because you have the exception, right? So it's, yes, because we take, look at the six-day war, right? You'll have the tanks that were tripled, and, and it's it's just the amount of, and only three tanks, right, were outside in the north, and they were maneuvering between each mountain, and they made it, you know, they made it, you know, think like we had hundreds, right? But it was only three, only three tanks, right? And they thought there was a hundred of them. No other person can pull that off, right? right. You just Why? Because it starts here. It, it starts with the mind that it's not about the muscle. It's not about that. It's about how strong you are inside. And, and that's what we have. We have from you born, um, the covenant. Mibrit milah is that's what it is. It's the spirit of the fighting Jew. And that's what we have. Yeah. Wow. I had never heard that expression before. And it makes a, a ton of sense. And speaking of the spirit of the fighting Jew, one of the original fighting Jews was the inventor of Krav Maga. And Hanan, mm-hmm. that probably was one of the first things they taught you when you joined the IDF, right? Yeah, so Amy, what I love the most and what gets me going is to see the pictures of the Jews who arrived here either right before the Holocaust or right after that. When you see Jews who just arrived and everything was taken from them, right? Family members. I mean, the most horrific things and they come to Israel, and the first thing they want to do is fight, right? They want to fight. The first thing they want to do is they want to fight. And you see the pictures. You see those pictures. What else do you need to motivate you? What else do you need to say, I can do this too? So, yes, when we saw those pictures, we said, there is nothing that can stop us. There is nothing that they go, you know, from that. And that's really what it is inside the spirit. That's what, what, what. You know, that's what it is. And and make no mistake, I'm actually going to open up that photo again that you were that that you were just referencing. For those who are listening on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, I'm I'm showing here a picture of the original instructor of Krav Maga, Emi Leichtenfeld. You know, he was the inventor of Krav Maga. Here he is teaching someone in the IDF knife hand to knife combat, clearly on some kind of barracks training for combat and you know, if you notice, you'll notice that these gentlemen are probably are, are they're skinny. You know, they, they are they are strong, they're tall, but they're skinny, and that's Correct. that that that's uh, indicative of the malnutrition that they're still recovering from 
from the Holocaust. So they literally came right out of the camps, right from behind the barbed wire, traveled mm -hmm. across Europe into the Middle East, got to what was then Palestine, Correct. and learned how Correct. to fight and defend their right to exist. That's right. That's absolutely right. Because when they first started to train, it was before even the IDF. It was then the Palmach and the Aetzel and the Lehi, and then later on it became... You know, it's what we know now, the Israeli Defense Forces. Imagine that. Imagine people who are barely, you know, 120 pounds, right? 130 pounds to the maximum, right? And mm -hmm. fighting people who are just vicious right. um, with hatred. And how do you do that? It's, and they did it, right? We built a whole nation, a whole country, a whole history on those people. Those few people, there wasn't many, right. right? It was just a few people who did it, but still the numbers inside, right? Inside our heart. Um, did it. I think that really encompasses the Jewish story where few in numbers were, were stronger than a thousand nations here as well as, as, a, as a, a little blurb from premiermartialarts.com. But they, when you go and type in Krav Maga, it describes kind of the story about how this was created. Mm -hmm. You know, Emi Leitenfeld, also known as Emi Sder or which means Lightfield, mm -hmm. a reference to his surname in Hebrew, taught the fighting system in Bratislava in order to help protect local Jews from the Nazi militia. That's the mm -hmm. origin of it. It was Correct. literally a few, just a, a few. few, just a few. And that was the really started with, when, it, when he was overseas still, um, yeah, to train for, for the uh, um, Nazi militia. And then when they came to Israel, it was against uh, the, the, you know, the Palestinians vicious attacks around the, the, the state. So yes, you know, same scenario because you have people who are very, very, you don't have a lot of numbers. And then, like I said, you need the people who, who can actually fight, who want to fight, but they are like 120 pounds, but you still teach them because that's what you have. And it's amazing. It's incredible. You don't need more motivation than that. You know? One thing as well that I've heard is that I've spoken to friends who were in the IDF. I've also just spoken to friends who simply just learned Krav Maga on their own. But they consistently describe the fact that Krav Maga is not a martial art. Would you agree with that statement? A hundred percent. So what 100%. makes it not a martial art? Well, because number one, when you come into a martial art, you think of a sport, you think of a competition, right? You think of a person in many, I'm going to give you the seven biggest examples why it's not. Number one, there is no referee. Number two, you are not lined up with the same weight class. So in a, in a fight, you are putting the same style, same weight class, right? Number three, you are in an event that people tell you when you're going to fight, how you're going to fight, right? So imagine a street fight. You have no clue when it's going to happen, how it's going to happen, how many people it's going to happen. Most importantly, the objective in a sport is to win. The objective on the street is to come back alive. Somebody's trying to take your life away. There is no intensity that can match that. Not to say that people who do sport self-defense can actually do good on the street. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is you can't train in the mindset of, okay, I'm going into a competition. I'm going to go on the street. No, it's totally, it's totally not. Yes, I don't like when you consider Krav Maga martial art because it's not. It is absolutely not. You are training for real life on the street. You don't. You never know when. You never know how. You don't know how many, and never stops until something bad happens, right? Either to you, right? So most times, if, if the person doesn't know how to defend, it's to them. So yes, I would not consider that a martial art. Yeah. 
in that same article by Premier Martial Arts, they capture mm-hmm. that very essence. Here it says that the goal in Krav Maga is to keep one safe. In a violent mm-hmm. situation, there are no rules. You need to do anything in your power not to get hurt. What does everything in your power mean? Taking preventative measures comes first. Be aware and avoid violence. You can prevent yourself from getting into danger zone by keeping your eyes and ears open. If you see a problem around you, stay away. If you have no choice, then kick to the groin. Spitting, biting, gouging, and hair pulling are all very legitimate. Never escalate the situation. And remember, fighting is last resort. I've never heard any martial arts say, yeah, groin, spitting, biting, gouging, and hair pulling are a part of a, of a fight. But here in Krav Maga, it gets to a more realistic, much more gritty point. And Correct. I think that should scare you if you don't understand that. Absolutely. If you watch a UFC fight, those guys are chiseled, trained eight-hour days, right? They train hard every day to fight. And then they get a small attack to their groin and they stop the fight, right? They they, they lay on the ground for minutes and they can't move those big chiseled guys, right? So they get a, a tap on the eyes. They get a tap. Why am I not going to do it on the street, right? If somebody was chiseled, a fighter, same with a boxer, right? When you punch him down below the belt, that's why I say don't below the belt. You, you hit in the groin area right. or straight straight knee shot, blood to the knee or elbow to here. They stop the fight immediately because they call it, it's not advantage, right? It's not fair. Well, guess what? On the street, there is no rules, right? And it can go both ways. So yes, you want to do what's best for your advantage to get out of the situation. I'm not here to spar. I'm not here to fight. I'm not here to exchange blows with you. No, I want to go home to my family and to do it, you got to be fast. I always say four seconds. Four seconds is what it is. Once the contact started, that's what you have. Any second more than four and you're in trouble. And I used to tell it to my soldiers all the time. You have four seconds. You four seconds. First two seconds is to understand and stop the attack of what's going on. Seconds three and four is for you to give and get out of there. More than four seconds, we are in trouble. It's not a fight in an in, in, in octagon. I don't need to do this for pay-per-view. I don't need to do this for longevity of the fight. Nobody's betting on me. The longer you stay in a fight, A, you lose a lot of cardiovascular. Not all of us are very athletic. Uh, chances are the person who's attacking us, they already know what they are doing because that's not the first time they are fighting someone. So they are probably a little bit more into it. So you need to really get in and get out from the situation because every second, I always compare it to a job interview. The longer you spend with them, probably chances you'll say something, they'll say we don't want to hire them. So you want to make a very good impression first. You don't want to stay for long. They'll figure ways to counter you. In and out, four seconds and boom. Four seconds and boom. You cannot stay for long. If you have family members, you also need to protect them. But you got to keep the same philosophy. Fast, out. Do it fast, do it hard, do it out. And that's basically how, yeah, I believe in. And you know what? That actually ties back to the story that you told from when you were a kid, when you saw Mm -hmm. the bus driver who wasn't a very athletic person. No. Stop the terrorist that was coming in trying to stab Jews in the bus. This terrorist comes in. The bus driver did the simplest thing that he could, which was to simply kick the terrorist in the chest, Mm -hmm. which stunned the terrorist. And then others came in and swarmed him and detained him, kept him down, Mm -hmm. pinned to the ground until the security came. Correct. That that had a defining moment. That in itself, I mean, is that Krav Maga or is that just a basic form of stopping a bad incident? 
So that's what I love about crowd. Really, the essence is for you to fight back. Whatever you do is crowd. The mindset is do whatever it takes for you to come back home. But you have to do something. So yes, when that bus driver kicked him in the chest and we contained, they, they detained the person, that is Krav Maga. There is no specific te technique that you say, okay, this is Krav. Because Krav, what's nice is, think of it as an Israeli salad. We take cucumbers, we take tomatoes, we take carrots. That's why I love Israeli salads because it's not like, you know, for example, a Caesar, which is overwhelmed by one, right? So you take judo, you take, you take, you take kickboxing, you take <laughs> right? So you put, everything, you put everything together and you get a delicious plant. And that's the same of Krav. Krav is really a mix of other variations. But what's the difference? The difference is I'm applying it for, for protection. And I'm doing it fast. But the number one thing is the heart. Krav Maga is a mindset. That's why when force people train with me, I say, listen, we can spend two minutes on a technique and you'll get it. But it'll take us probably two, three hours for you to understand the mindset. So let's say a person is bigger than you, right? You cannot, you need to do whatever it takes to overcome in your mind the fear from the person. That's what Krav Maga is. Mm. And that's what when I used to train my soldiers, I say, listen, guys, you're going to fight people who are probably twice, three times your size. Whatever technique I'm teaching you, you have to believe it works because you have to believe you can take them. You cannot. So it's mindset. The psychological aspect in a fight is 90% because a person who attacks you, attacks you because they have a belief they can overpower you, period. Nobody goes into a fight. Listen, they never want to fight. They want to win. Remember that. They're not looking to fight. They're looking to win, which means if you put a fight, they don't want it. Nobody wants to break an elbow to rob you, right? They're not in a sport. In a sport, you will because you get a million dollars. So you'll say, I'll take the elbow, I'll get the million dollars, and I'll go get surgery. On the street, the criminals say, why am I breaking a nose or an eye or my throat over you? I'm going to go attack somebody more vulnerable. So they pick a target based on their psychological so they say you, right? They go pick you. You need to show them right there and then that they picked wrong, even before the fight starts. I call it IDF. Identify, de-escalate, fight, right? So first you need to identify. You give them a look, a look that says, listen, if you come towards me, you have more than you can chew. That's it. Why would they come towards you? Why? They're not, they don't have anything against you specifically. You are not in a bad criminal activity. You are not a criminal. So somebody who, they're not looking to fight. They're looking to win. Second is de-escalate. Once a person comes closer, you show them physically and mentally. You're not as scared. And then if you need to, the last resort is at that point, we are going into contact. And that's the second part of the de-escalation is the physical fight. As we need to do it within four seconds. So to me, number one is, psychological you need to be very strong fascinating do you think with everything that you've kind of just described when it comes to psychology when it comes to the empowerment when it comes to our our narrative that every jew should learn krav maga absolutely absolutely and, and from for many reasons number one of course protection here's the thing you cannot delegate your safety to other people as Jewish people, we stop to delegate it to other people. How history just showed us you have no one 
to hold your hand when you're under attack? Why would you delegate your safety? So reason number one is no one will do it for you, not even Jews. No one will fight your fight. The same way nobody will eat for you and nobody will sleep for you, nobody will exercise for you. The same thing is nobody will fight for you. Reason number two is think about how confident you will be in everyday life for other things, business, family, challenges. When you know you can fight, which is the toughest thing to do, right? It's it, Nothing is harder than protecting yourself from somebody who's trying to harm you. So if you have daily activities that are, are, are challenging at the moment, you know, family life, business, the, the life we live in today after, with COVID and everything, you need to be mentally tough in today's world and educate your family about mental toughness. Nothing can prepare you for life stronger than training and Krav Maga because that's what we do. Every class, we work on the mental and the physical toughness as well as resilience. So yes, for those reasons, protection, family life, business life, mental toughness, I will do it. Yeah. Now, let me ask you this. Krav Maga, I mean, we literally just read an article that said that spitting, gouging, okay, you know, doing any heinous act is fair play because there's no rules in combat. As a matter of fact, you know, one of my first times ever demoing Krav Maga, there was an instructor who came to our school. Okay. And on the very first lesson, his introduction lesson, he decided to teach us how to split someone's hand open, which is okay. like, what? Okay. So we know that there are some incredibly gruesome things that mm-hmm. you are supposed to do with Krav Maga. It is taught. Mm-hmm. So being said, is there a mental tax? Is there a psychological tax to embracing Krav Maga as well? You mean in a negative way? Yeah. Okay. I do think that if, like anything else, if you train, I do believe you need to be trained right. Mm-hmm. I think if you train in a wrong way, I always said it to my soldiers. I said, listen, if we hurt each other in training, we don't need bad guys, right? If you have a broken arm, if I have a broken arm, if I'm this, we don't need bad guys. We did it to ourselves in training. And I think so many instructors don't see it like that they say well if i hit you stronger in the head you're going to be a tougher fighter wrong wrong approach absolutely wrong you need like a tree you got to build the roots are still fragile i can't take somebody who's never been in conflict and then start training them like you said i would never start a first lesson the way you just described me personally i would never show you to, to do that stuff because you are not ready for that yet matter of fact most times i don't even teach that stuff I make sure that I teach you already the four seconds to get out of there and to do one or two things that if the fight gets more and more um, um, problematic or it's extreme situation, like an active shooter or something, I still show you things to get away without being like that until you're ready for it mentally and physically. No. So I believe, yeah, you need to start in a level that you can handle it mentally and physically. If not, yes you will have negative effects by it. And that's the sad part about it is some people have negative effects because they were trained badly and they talk negative about it. Instead of going to a good instructor who will build you positive, yes, I do not believe starting too strong with a student because it will cause um, horrific nightmares. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. When I was in that demonstration, and that instructor taught me how to split someone's hand open, mm-hmm. literally holding my hand and showing me exactly how much force is required, which is not that much, believe it or not. 
to split someone's hand open with your own hands, no tools required. Mm -hmm. I remember thinking to myself, this is going to give me nightmares. This is mm -hmm. going to mess me up. And also in what situation on the street where mm -hmm. I'm being attacked for being a Jew, would mm -hmm. I ever need or be able to split someone's hand open? You know, yeah. how do I get that person to willingly give me their hand to do that? It's obviously impossible. It sets a very unrealistic expectation. It also teaches a very unnecessary torture, uh, I think. But it makes sense the way you're describing it. The four seconds. I love your acronym for IDF. Correct. Uh, yeah. you know, I think that was brilliant. And I really think that a lot of people would benefit by learning from you and the safety you provide. Mm -hmm. um, another thing as well. For those who don't know, McGinn Protection Solutions, you know, he helps people in situations, civilians in situations that are unfortunately very relevant to Americans today here in the U.S. And that is that there are active shooters that mm -hmm. are popping up that are, you know, in unannounced ways and unprecedented ways, creating an unnecessary chaos. And it's very reassuring to know that someone like Hanan is out there protecting and helping us be more aware and be more mindful of what needs to happen. How can I remain to be safe? I think uh, Hanan's work is really important and it's incredibly valuable and relevant to today, especially in the Jewish community. This is being recorded on February 24th, 2023. And apparently tomorrow, February 25th, 2023, there are a lot of extremist organizations that have been announcing on internet forums to the supporters who are anti-Semites and extremists that Saturday is going to be a day of hate, that it's going to be an uprising on tomorrow. It's scary. When this episode releases, we'll know how that day went. Sometimes these things come and go with nothing happening. But right now, there's that very silent tension. Mm -hmm. that is building up and yes. mm -hmm. what i think is really important right now is to call community leaders and make sure that security is being beefed up mm -hmm. to reach out to organizations and make sure that they are aware of these extremist organizations to never go anywhere alone to always be aware of your surroundings and if you do know how to you know fight be prepared to use those techniques. It is one of the most empowering ways to establish our right to exist to people that aren't even across the aisle that are on another plane of existence, the people that live to hate, the people that are unrelatable, the people that are beyond unholy. This is the time to be safe. This is the time to take Hanan's words mm -hmm. to heart and to practice those protection solutions. So Hanan, thank you for being on this podcast. For thank those you. who would love to who, for those who would love to connect with you, what is the best way to reach out? They can go on the website mcgannprotectionsolutions.com and I have all my contact information there. They can see videos of some of our programs. They can see all the testimonials, the reviews from all the great programs. I really believe in educating people and empowering people, not in a fearful way, but a way that you can learn in a fun way, even though it's a topic that's 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 not as, as, as lucrative, but still do it in a way that we learn and, and we'll be able to to do it once we are under attack. Yeah. Well said. Hanan Smith of McGinn Protection Solutions. 
thank you so much again for being here. It's been a privilege to have you here on the podcast. Sure, thank you. I enjoyed it too. It was very, very good. Shalom. Sure.